Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of The Love Cupboard. I'm Dan Reist. And I'm Matt Kendall. And in today's episode we're tackling the physical side of a relationship and what steps each partner can take to both develop a more intimate relationship and give and receive sexual pleasure. That's right, the nitty gritty. It's an issue that is sometimes misunderstood with sex and intimacy often used interchangeably. But the two terms are very different. Intimacy doesn't always need to be physical to bring us closer together, while sex alone doesn't require intimacy. However, the two terms can be difficult to untangle, which can make relationships challenging, as a healthy relationship often is, but not always, somewhat reliant on both sex and intimacy. I say often because we know that some individuals prefer to not engage in sexual activity at all. A 2019 study in the US estimated that around 1.7% of adults in the US identify as asexual. Most of those identifying as asexual are most likely to be women or gender non-binary, assigned female at birth and younger, compared to non-asexual lesbians, gay men and bisexual adults. For this group of adults, sex is not a prerequisite for a happy and healthy relationship. Intimacy, however, is. That's because intimacy and connection have long been associated with better health and well-being. Studies show that individuals who are engaged in a romantic relationship tend to report lower responses to pain, elevated immune responses, increased longevity and a greater ability to moderate their brain's response to threat. And as we shall come to learn, intimacy can take several forms. Because true intimacy involves a level of emotional connection and trust, intimacy doesn't need to be physical to exist and intimacy doesn't need to be something we receive solely from our partner. At the same time, intimacy can be intensely physical and sexual, but the evidence suggests both men and women are not always happy with their sex lives. A 2011 survey from Australia found that only 46% of men and 58% of women were satisfied with their current frequency of sex. Dissatisfied men were overwhelmingly likely to desire sex more frequently. Among dissatisfied women, only two-thirds wanted sex more frequently. In fact, one study found that 51% of men would like to have sex at least every day, compared to only 7% of women. It's a bit much for me, I have to admit. A 2022 Polish study underlines this disparity. Women surveyed stated that a sense of closeness was even more important than sexual satisfaction for women cohabiting with their partners. Maintaining satisfaction also appears to be challenging over the long term. A 2016 study from Chapman University in the US found that only 55% of women and 43% of men reported being sexually satisfied in relationships longer than three years. Part of the problem, like many things in relationships as we keep battering on about, is communication. A survey of American couples found that over half of women want to communicate more with their partner about sex but choose not to for several reasons not wanting to hurt a partner's feelings, perhaps being uncomfortable talking about the details or simply feeling embarrassed. So joining us to discuss how we can be better at sex, identify our sexual desires, communicate them and develop greater levels of intimacy, come to enjoy better and more long-lasting sex lives, are Topher Taylor, a tart with a heart in his own words, an award-winning sex educator with nearly 15 years in the adult industry and a producer, writer and queer scene columnist whose work has appeared in documentaries on Channel 4 and Channel 5. And we're also joined by Madeleine Munro, a trauma-informed somnatic sexologist and attachment therapist specialising in supporting people to feel more pleasure, deeper intimacy and more fulfilling relationships through healing. Her work is featured in publications such as Cosmopolitan, Grazia, Stylist, Women's Health and Vice. Thank you both very much for joining. And Matt, you have the first question. Thanks, Dan. Um, so I thought the best way to start this really was to uh, pose a question to you, Madeline. As Dan touched upon in the intro, intimacy can take several forms. So how can we define intimacy? It's not, it seemingly doesn't always mean something physical. So w what would be a good definition for it in your understanding? Mm, I love this question. Thank you. And beautiful intro. I felt like I was learning so much. Thank I want you. to take notes on the studies. <laughs> um, yeah, amazing. So yeah, as you referred to, I'd say that intimacy can refer to a whole scope of experiences. So where we may have sexual intimacy or sensual intimacy, we have emotional, spiritual, like intellectual, this whole scope of being in connection with another human being. And what may really define intimacy is actually the depth of connection that may be present. So understanding another person's experience. So how you may know if you're experiencing intimacy with someone is like, do you feel like you understand them? Do you feel held, supported by them? Do you feel like they can see you? One of my teacher's quotes is intimacy means into you I see. And this can often be lost in the idea of like 
intimacy as a scope or like definition it's like do you understand the person do you feel like they understand you and do you feel like that sense of closeness with them yeah and one of the things I wanted to touch upon which you just mentioned was that that sense of being held and supported mm. and before we started recording I I mentioned to you that I came across this clip on Instagram of Trevor Noah speaking in between recording on of, of the Daily Show program and to describe it more succinctly, essentially, he was referring to a study where 30-something American men were having less sex than ever or wanted more sex but weren't getting enough of it. And one of the things that he came to as a, a possible reason for men wanting sex is not so much that they want sex per se, but perhaps they're looking for intimacy through sex. And that's one of the few ways that they feel they can express intimacy because their ability to be vulnerable and to, you know, be vulnerable, particularly amongst their male friends is, is quite challenging. And so they seek intimacy through sex mm -hmm. rather than through friendship or companionship where, you know, maybe they can hug and be vulnerable with each other and express their issues and their problems. To what extent do you identify with that in your work, I guess? Do you see that? Yeah, so I tend to work with more uh, heterosexual men and I definitely see that gap in what they view intimacy as what they think they may want and what they're actually receiving. And we're, what we're seeing is that often men, and I'm ex like intrigued how this will develop in the next few decades, especially with like, I would say like a porn pandemic is like men identifying um, like sex with intimacy and especially hypersexualization of of intimacy. And this isn't any due to fault of them themselves, it's because we're living in a society where there isn't adequate sex education, there isn't adequate emotional support for men, and there isn't adequate like uh, adequate education on men to support their mental health. So we're seeing men often not get their attachment needs met, their attunement needs met in society and amongst themselves, or, or that even being recognized. And you see that in perhaps leaders or in politics where the way even people may speak about each other in politics and like the dismissiveness. And I'm wondering where are men having the space to actually effectively um, communicate their emotions and be held in that space. So yeah, definitely resonating with that and, and seeing that through through my work a lot. And I wonder to what extent that's changed because I came across this really interesting article that said physical expressions of affection between male friends was really common, particularly in the 18th and 19th centuries. So I, th there's a book uh, called The Overflowing of Friendship mm. where it shows how it wasn't unusual for platonic male friends to write kind of tender letters to each mm. other and to hold hands or cuddle or even sleep in the same bed. Mm. And then the wives and girlfriends of these men and the wider community saw it as a healthy or even necessary aspect of their bond together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it seems quite surprising to me that that seemed to be a very accepted mm -hmm. way for men to get their needs met, I suppose. So mm. I wonder what's changed since then that now it seems very rare that men are comfortable, mm. would be comfortable doing any of that. Mm, yeah, I feel like this is a really good point. And I'm, more, I'm also curious around it, how it is culturally. And if you look at different cultures and how men may interact, and I'm wondering how Tofa may respond, because I'm wondering if a lot of this may do with like systemic homophobia that has, has increased throughout the decades. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that was the, what was going through my head when you were talking. Yeah. yeah uh, I just don't want to interrupt. No, <laughs> but please yeah, do, because I was thinking like, wow, that's really like in terms of intimacy and men being held, like what's the barrier really there? And for me, that's what came forward. Yeah, because I think like the idea of being vulnerable, if you're like masculine is, I mean, look at the explosion of these like, podcast mm. at the minute you know the Andrew Tate philosophies that you cannot be vulnerable you cannot show this because that's effeminate and mm. then to be effeminate is a sin you mm. know because and then mm. just intertwines homophobia with misogyny and it's just all of that chaos in the back of people's heads because a lot of my close friends believe it or not are heterosexual men and they come to me with their problems mm. all the time which feels like they've got the golden goose because I know with me they're going to get like you mean I haven't got any like plan for them I'm just like trying to help and I'm like, why don't you talk to your friends about it? Like, talk to the other guys. Because my viewpoint, yeah, I'm an educator, but my lived experience is gay. Like, I'm a gay male. So I think you do see it so much because to be vulnerable is attributed to, like, being effeminate or being, like, seen as weaker. Mm. Do you think as well, Topher, that 
Mm. Is there a more of an intimacy amongst gay relationships or is that kind of that homophobia still sort of preventing that from happening? Unfortunately, I just, yeah, from my experience, homophobia is just like, like insidious. It's all over and it like drips through us and you, you have, there's so much venom and there's a lot of wonderful things about the queer scene. Like there's a lot of wonderful, worthy gay men who I really respect. But my introduction to the gay scene, just from my personal experience was no intimacy whatsoever. I felt completely iced out. And that's why I lent on a lot of my heterosexual female friends and heterosexual men. But I think all of that does derive from homophobia. Yeah. Because we judge each other, because we judge ourselves, because we've been grown up saying, like, you know, this is wrong, this is incorrect, this is immoral. You know, this is a pathway to paedophilia, this is a pathway to fucking dogs, you know. Yeah. And these things do stick in your head as a gay man because you grow up, you know. Even today, for example, I'm on the tube. And, like, when you stand, like, just because of all this rhetoric, at the minute you stand next to a child on the tube... You're like, I wonder if someone's looking at me thinking that I'm just because of you read all this stuff and it these things do perpetuate in how you engage. Yeah. Mm. And actually just on a topical um point of view, we've had two very serious um gay hate crimes in the past mm. week, I think. Yeah, and Clapham and Brixton. Clapham and Brixton. Yeah. Um and yeah, so it's very still extremely, you know, it's, present. Just going back on when you said, Tofa, the um that your heterosexual male friends come to you yeah. for kind of advice around you know relationships i imagine that kind of thing yeah um why do you think that they come to you for advice I obviously think, as an educator but yeah, yeah. i think like because i'm I, I think for me it's i'm warmth and non-judgmental i'm sure. not going to go and laugh about them i'm not going to tease them in the pub like my work comes with a really strong line of discretion mm-hmm. you know my personal life as well like i have a lot of relationships with men who don't publicly identify as queer mm-hmm. so like loyalty and discretion is my my bag Probably because I'm Irish from South London, though. Okay. Which that's... is all I talk about, apparently. But <laughs> it's true. I, but I, I think it comes from the fact they know with me there's no judgment, which I think speaks a lot to what perhaps they're scared of with other male, like mm-hmm. heterosexual cis male relationships, you know? That am I, should I be that vulnerable? Or is that going to put the target on my head? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be like, you know, the punchline of a joke? Or am I going to be mortified? And I have a lot of empathy for it too much, to be honest. I sit and think about it a lot. And I'm always trying to find a window in there. Yeah. And it seems to work because I do have people tell me very, like, personal things. And it's a real honor. Mm. But it's just a shame that it has to mm-hmm. be this way, you know. Yeah, yeah I, think it's, I think it's really disappointing, isn't it, that we don't, most men don't feel like they have some sort of outlet or means of expressing them, themselves mm. and, and saying, I, I just need, or they maybe even not realize that they just need a hug or they just need someone to talk to. So I think it kind of it's understandable that they then put intimacy and sex together. But also, I I guess it seems like intimacy and sex are quite bound up with one another when actually they're quite separate things. We're not really on that path of recognizing that we can get intimate needs and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, we can receive intimacy from all sorts of different people and, and in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. I think it's an it's an interesting definition because it's I think it can be both really you can have intimacy outside of sex and you can definitely have it within sex I think that there may be a tendency to separate it as a as an issue um for men certainly and in my experience and I'll totally admit to saying that you know I've often thought sex is intimacy and mm-hmm. it, because it has to be and you, because it, you feel that perhaps even from my experience my queer experiences that it is the most kind of raw act that someone can do and reveal to you, where actually that's that's 100% not true. And there's so much more behind it. Madeline, I think, you know, you, you'll have experience in speaking to people about this and trying to separate it. Do you think there's kind of a, a reluctance to separate it? I wonder if there's not a, yeah, perhaps reluctance out of like fear of what's the deeper unmet need. Sure. Is that a need for vulnerability? Is that like the deeper unmet need for attachment and security and safety with another human being? And where can that feel like easily met within sex, right? It can feel, and like with the hormones that are released and everything, it can feel, yeah, like, oh, someone is there for us. And while they can be separated, I wonder if also if like sex in itself can also be misunderstood and just how vulnerable and intimate it is and like how easy or like we step into it and it is so vulnerable to, you know, for to have an orgasm, our nervous system needs to change state into parasympathetic state and there needs to be safety for us to be able to receive that type of pleasure. 
And so there needs to be a certain type of level of attunement with another human being, which in itself is intimacy. So it's so, yeah, it's a deeper reflection perhaps on like how our human needs are being met within society and us understanding how, like, if you look at the part from the pandemic, it's like what I saw, I don't know if you saw it as well, but in my private clinic, this emergence of people wanting more from their relationships. Absolutely. Uh, my, like, cause I work on a lot of the time in the retail side of the adult industry. So mm. products, toys, like wellness, et cetera. And our sales jumped up 450% one week because people were sat at home having to face their shit. Mm. Yeah. And there was points in the pandemic, as we know, we didn't know, we didn't know if everyone around us was going to die. We didn't know yeah. if this thing was this mysterious bug was lingering in the mm-hmm. air. Do you know what I mean? And I think a lot of people sat down with their shit and a lot of I have so much respect for a lot of men in my personal life who really came forward. And a few guys I know came out as bisexual during mm-hmm. the pandemic because I think everyone had so much time to sit on their thoughts. And then you really have to go like, right, I have all these hours in the day, you know, mm-hmm. I'm working at home now and, you know, I want to express my sexuality. And a lot of couples split, but a lot of couples also really developed great sex lives because people were inviting toys into the bedroom. Mostly because they were fucking bored. Yeah, I think that boredom was so bored. Is, is, is there? <laughs> yeah. But I, I completely agree. There's like there was a, a level of discovery, perhaps that was part of it. And you know, sexual discovery is such a beautiful thing, anyway. Yeah. But it is ultimately linked with you know this kind of sense of intimacy. People trying to find out how things can make them feel better, whether it's in a sexual mm. way or whether it's with their partner or yeah. in whatever ways. And I suppose um, I didn't really have that because I lived with my dad. So <laughs> a little bit tricky. Uh, but it was, you know, just reading about it and seeing all, this, all the statistics about people having divorces, the divorce spike that came after two years of, of pandemic and actually the wedding spike. I think people are still tr- struggling to find a weekend where there isn't a wedding going on. Yeah. It's just... Keep buying suits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, exactly. Just keep the tags on them, dry clean them and send them back. Perfect. A question that's kind of linked to it, and it's a real elephant in the room, I suppose, when we talk about sex, but are men obsessed with it? Are men obsessed with sex? Before you answer, I just wanted to tag on to that question okay. by saying all this talk about intimacy and, and kind of the idea that men aren't able to access intimacy or, or mainly through through physical, you know, through sex, basically... Does that play into this idea, this kind of hypersexualized culture that we have and this idea that men are really obsessed with sex and that's the only thing they want? To what extent also is it that they just, there's a sort of a, a misunderstanding of what intimacy is or there's only one form of it that men seem able to access and that's what's making them obsessed with sex rather than it being an innate thing that men just want sex all the time and women don't want it quite as much which is a huge generalization obviously but yeah I mean I guess I was blessed with I grew up surrounded by really sexual women like I grew up I've said it 15 times already but in South London like I come from like you know and the girls on the estates were the ones who had the control so I grew up around a lot of very sexually empowered women so I don't when I think about men being obsessed with sex um I feel like it's used a lot of the time as a replacement like we've like touched on for intimacy you know, this. I mean, sex can be intimate, it can be great, but you're thinking, are, are you doing this because you're you're like erotically attracted to this person? Do you want to express yourself sexually? Or is there just something you need to release or prove to yourself? But then on the flip side, I don't, like there's a lot of negativity attached to people being obsessed with sex. Like there's nothing wrong with it if you're doing it correctly and, you know, responsibly and obviously consensually. But from, just from my experience and my work and the men that I've spoken to over the years, I think a lot of the time, men almost get like infantilized with sex where they're almost like people roll their eyes at the idea of a man masturbating or a man wanting to shag and they get seen as like horny teenagers and I feel like it's finding that balance between this human being has the every right to like want to fuck and explore and try new things and on the flip side but then doing that responsibly and not being a prick and making sure you're doing it for the right reasons and I think if we could all dissect ourselves and figure out why we're making the choices we're making sexually like i think we'd all be a lot happier but i mean we we know that people don't especially men because again i was saying that i have a lot of empathy for men because there's so much pressure and it's very easy rather than to address your intimacy issues and your connection and your fears than just to go shag someone because it proves a point to yourself and you're scoring a point if that makes sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. 
it's validation to some extent. Mm. Yeah, suppose, definitely. It? And I, I yeah. see it all the time. And there's again, there's nothing wrong with wanting to shag. Mm. But I think it would just be wonderful if people could just think, why am I doing this? Mm. Yeah. Am I proving a point? Do I really want to shag or do I just want to hug someone? Mm. Yeah. Do I want to feel someone's skin on me? Which, And again, it's that, do men feel safe to say that? Mm. Is it not embarrassing? Is mm-hmm. it not making yourself too vulnerable? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very layered. It's fascinating. And I, su- yeah. I suppose the one thing that I certainly noticed, at least in the last three years, it's obviously a historic thing, but the sheer rise in the market for male sex toys yes. as an essence of self-pleasure and fulfilment of that kind, mm. I think it's a hugely beneficial thing and positive thing. Yeah. Um, and I think the way that it is now being marketed as, you know, alongside, you know, I say normal ones for for women um, is really good because it normalizes it, and that, I, I sh- I'm sure in your work you absolutely experience this. Oh God, yeah. I mean, like the explosion of like sex toys for people. With, I say people with penises because I yeah, I work on the actual nerve. I think about the nerve endings as opposed mm-hmm. to anything else. But yeah, sex toys for men, cis men, it's exploded, and there are amazing companies who really do put a lot of effort, and time, and studies. You know, thinking and taking things into consideration, like disabilities and sure. you know making sure functionality is for everyone but i feel there's a lot of there's a lot of good and bad to porn but i think one of the great sides to porn is it's encouraged a lot of men to try sex toys mm. because they've seen it in the films and we're very easily influenced creatures especially in vulnerable states yeah you know sex and wanting to fuck and being mm. horny and then you see maybe a porn star who you admire and maybe he fucks all the women that you love. And then you suddenly see that, oh, he's got a flashlight, that's cool. And that, that maybe I maybe sound a little bit patronizing there, but that's a great entryway because using sex toys can really, really help men with performance confidence issues, with mm-hmm. even things like delayed ejaculation, premature ejaculation, you know, erectile dysfunction, you know, which again is not addressed a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of pressure to be, you know, and to admit that is embarrassing. But the sex toy development process for men is fascinating. Yeah. Because they, they get so many people involved in different facets. Mm. Yeah. And this is another thing I think is, and we touched upon it with the communication statistics earlier, but it's just talking about sex in general and some of the things that you mentioned, you know, performance anxiety or erectile dysfunction or, mm-hmm. you know, certainly for me growing up, you know, any thinking about using some sort of sex toy was well, they quite embarrassing. Exist. They just did, they just didn't exist. And even if they did exist, you know, I think I think there's probably some degree of reluctance to yeah. use a flashlight, for instance, for fear that it's you know it's it comes across as maybe a bit desperate. Yeah, or pathetic or like. Yeah. But, but really, I mean, ultimately, what you can learn from using products, I mean, number one is that you don't necessarily need to use someone for intimacy because maybe you're just horny and need that release, which is fine. Maybe you don't want to wank, try a toy, you know, Mm. and there's so much you can learn from it. And I think especially like going down a different route, but it's just to touch on a lot of guys masturbate a lot. And by doing so, you train your body to orgasm certain ways, which will then contribute to things like delayed ejaculation, uh, erectile dysfunction, and then performance confidence. Yeah. yeah. Because you're thinking, fuck, I'm not going to work. The old death mm. grip is the yeah, exactly is the word that always comes up. Yeah, um, Madeline, I suppose uh, we've concentrated quite a lot on the on the sex toys, but with your kind of therapy in your private clinic that you work with men, is this a, the performance anxiety that must come out quite a lot? I'm sure, mm, huge, and yeah, back, backing off what Topher said around like who are men taught that they need to be to be accepted, mm-hmm. and how that really shows up. So. Yeah, performance anxiety and really who they, I see it different between men and women and, and yeah, people, non-binary people. The, the issues they may come with or the challenges they may come with will be different. So men, it tends to be who they think they should, in quotation marks, be in the bedroom and showing up as that. So therefore, when I hear that question, are men obsessed with sex? I would love to like just thread this in here that... That, yeah, like it's often said, like it's okay if people have sexual desire. Mm. And what I can see in the dating world is like this narrative of critique of men. And this narrative you may see in pop culture and films, like men are obsessed with sex. Men only want one thing. And taking the time to actually just dissolve that as a narrative, I don't think it serves anyone mm-hmm. around this idea and that that if we have, yeah, like say these conversations, how healing they are for, for men to listen or tune into what, where they get their needs met or what intimacy or sex means to them. 
and give themselves permission if they are really horny, if they do have strong sexual desires, that's okay yeah. as well. So just really like, yeah, providing that this caveat for the whole spectrum of how men may want to be in the bedroom rather than who they think they should be. I love that, I what you just said. So what, mm. like who they are as opposed to what they think they should be because mm. that's monumental. Yeah, and I think that also really chimes with the kind of feedback that I was getting when I was younger was mm. sex and kind of conquests, I guess, mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. of women was a way to make yourself feel good and to satisfy urges. And it, it fed into you having some sort of confidence in yourself. Mm. It was all revolved around basically trying as hard as you could to mm. have sex with women. But I think underlying that, with hindsight, there was a lot of issues that were feeding into that. It wasn't really about sex. It was, to what extent am I getting, you know, am I feeling complete as a person through various other different things? But it was, I guess, a societal message that if you have lots of sex, you'll be happy yeah. and, you, and you'll be a man. That's what it means to be a man. Yeah, the status piece, as you said, yeah. like, of like Playboy or yeah. Vice or these things where it's like the men have more sex with the players, right? And yeah. like the status like they hold and then, yeah, how the narrative may have been, how women, and I'm so grateful that a lot of women I'm around with like reclaim the word slut. But I remember feeling shame around my numbers, you know, like mm -hmm. oh, I, sh I shouldn't sleep with too many people or something, whereas yeah. the antithesis for men. So just showing how these like power dynamics may play in society with different genders and sexualities. Yeah, I think if I hear body count one more time, <laughs> oh gosh, I will run in front of a vehicle. Yeah, <laughs> It's just, just, it's patronizing, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's so demeaning, especially like, I grew up, so again, I've got loads of strong, close bonds with cis, straight women. Like, I feel so protective when I hear those words because mm. I love it when one of my like girls would, like, they're, I, they'll always contact me and be like, you'll never guess what I did last night. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just, and it's a shame that, especially someone like me, I've worked in the industry for so long, like so long. And you're like, why am I still shocked to hear mm. about an empowered sexual woman? Mm. Because of culture mm. and, yeah. you know, that, and then that does drip feed into how some men think of women. Mm. like you should mm. think less because like she's been around the block or yeah. her vagina is going to be loose and it's yeah. nonsense it's the same i think that we have if in the news or if there's a celebrity a woman who's perhaps older and she starts dating a younger man and the the cultural kind of discussion or the discourse that goes on is always completely different than what it would be if it's an older man a younger woman um i mean that's obviously entrenched in patriarchy and things like that. But mm. the sexual side certainly comes out as well, I think, this kind of conquests mm. uh, narrative. Yeah, I'm a Madonna fan, so that speaks to me. Oh, because yeah. I, I, I just, I find her fascinating how she does it so unapologetically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's like, she's fantastic for just not giving a shit, essentially. Yeah. And I feel like, I, I know lots of like, women of all ages, like a few of my friends who do like dominatrix work, they're like in their 50s and some in their 60s. And they are more sexually compatible in their personal lives with younger men. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's not like fetish based, it's just having your needs met. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it speaks to something really special just to see a, a woman. And again, it shocks me that I find it provocative to see a woman who can just know what they want and go after it. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, We've been sort of controlled to think that that kind of liberation is, is a bad thing, yeah. but actually it's, the most important thing someone can do. And I think that's the same for everyone. Um, but, you know, women especially having been the sort of target of so many years of, of this and actually taking control of one's sex life and saying, I, I sleep with people and I'm quite happy to do that mm. is, yeah, it's so inspiring, I think, to see that. And the sex positivity movement, I have done inverted comma bunny ears uh, movements with that. Um, <laughs> because I wouldn't say it's a movement, it's a frame of mind, but... The one that kind of has really exploded, I think, in the past, probably since the pandemic, I think I've, I didn't really see the term sex positive very often until shortly after the pandemic, which, again, speaks for what the pandemic did to people, was that they needed to kind of, you know, explore these things. And I suppose the question that comes from that is um, this, this, again, movement, if you like, of sex positivity, it, it needs to include men, doesn't it? Definitely. Mm. Absolutely. So I, I'll be honest with you, sex positivity kind of makes me cringe a little bit just because I yeah. see that vehicle go in places which I think is just completely irrelevant. And it gets tied into a lot of really corny conversations. No. Sorry. Um, but 
I like since the pandemic, the amount of people who are now openly discussing sex and like mm-hmm. what what their needs are, what they want, how they identify, what they want to explore, like even on things like TikTok, yeah, you mm-hmm. know, which is really like youth based. And I think it's mm-hmm. really inspiring to see teenagers who are not describing themselves pornographically mm-hmm. they're just saying I, these are my desires and this is how i choose to identify like and that may change because we're not i'm definitely not the person i was when i was 13 mm-hmm. um but i think um the sex positive sex positivity movement has been both beneficial but also it's been um a lot of like corporations and stuff are getting involved and like commodifying a lot of it and i'm it makes me a little bit uncomfortable when I hear sex positive. I think it's the same with pride and mm. that kind yeah. of um, claiming of it, if you like. The, yeah, as you say, corporate side of side of things. Uh, me and Matt were talking about uh, dating apps, and I don't know if it, if you've noticed that on dating apps, Matt, but people are actually describing themselves as sex positive on dating apps, and this for me has just exploded in the last kind of few years, and it never has before i think when sorry to interrupt but i think when i see it on a profile when i see sex positive and maybe this is me being cynical i'm thinking what, what do you actually mean mm-hmm. yeah what does that yeah. actually mean like mm-hmm. does that mean that you're happy to have an open relationship does it mean that you like love anal does it mean that you, <laughs> you you want to get passed around like a spliff at a barbecue like but I just for me like i just think it's a little bit of a buffer for some people still and i appreciate that it's a step of course but i look forward to the day when someone's like i'm into this and I'm not particularly into this, but I'm open to this. Mm. Because I think sex positive is just a bit of an umbrella. Sure. Is it? Is it also just a case of, just a reflection perhaps of the fact that it's still quite hard to explore? We're still on that upward curve yeah. of exploring ourselves sexually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And therefore it's, it, I guess there must be a lot of people who are just quite uncertain, but maybe yeah. willing to yeah. experiment and try things. Yeah, it's maybe don't it's actually maybe. know what they like. It's probably me being cynical. I think I that think cynicism just, is, comes from a very good place, honestly. And I, I, I just think at the minute, especially if you look on social media, like even right now, like on the way here, I was checking my phone. The person who's trending on TikTok right now is Samantha Jones. There is a uh, reason yeah. we are drawn to these people because mm-hmm. it speaks to so many of us to see someone who can hold their head high and say, I'm a slut. Mm-hmm. Like slut can mean 150,000 different things. But I think it speaks to, it speaks to society especially you see young women sharing it and you're like, I love that, you know, that, but I just think it's the psychology behind why are we drawn to these people? You know, like the Madonnas, the yeah. Samantha Jones, and then going back, like Blanche Devereux from the Golden Girls. Oh, don't, oh. Do you know what I mean? But, <laughs> oh, my yeah. heart flutters. But, but, but I, I think it's, there's a reason we're drawn to these characters because it speaks to so many of us that we would love to be able to do mm. that. We would, I would, like so many people would love the idea of being able to do it and you're thinking, but wait, is that going to make me undateable? Mm. Does that take me off the market? Yeah. You know, does that mean that I'm I'm just there to get fucked, but I can't I can't be hugged, mm. I can't be married? Mm. You know, and I think I struggle with that because I'm very overtly sexual, and I sometimes I'm thinking, fuck, am I just making myself undateable? And but then that's because I grew up like trained by my, you know, the the media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That to be to be a slut is a sin. Yeah. You know, you can dress slutty, but you can't own it. Mm-hmm. because that's a sin but you can look good and you have to look good and you must mm-hmm. and if you if you don't look good something's going wrong but if you look yeah. too good you're a slut and you want approval mm-hmm. from people but then if you don't look good you're falling off and you're mm-hmm. past it mm-hmm. and it's like that but that pressure i mean as a gay it's there but i can't even imagine for women mm-hmm. it seems like the maturity around sex and our sexual desires and willingness to experiment is still not there we're kind of Mm. Again, just going back to what I was saying about that begin being at the beginning of the curve, we're talking about these things, but there's still so many, I guess, contradictions to iron out. You're listening to The Love Cupboard. If you're enjoying what you're listening to, please make sure to subscribe and follow us on our social media on Twitter and Instagram at The Love Cupboard. I just want to take it back slightly to, because, again, to the to the statistic around communication of sexual desires and and, I mean, I was particularly interested that that there are so many women I can't remember the exact percentage, who aren't satisfied but don't bring it up, and I'm I mean I don't know what the statistics are with men either, but 
it seems there's a lot of people out there who are not satisfied with how things are going, but we're just too embarrassed to say anything for fear of upsetting the person we're with. And I guess that sort of extends also to this idea that a lot of women might fake orgasms Mm -hmm. and probably contributes to the orgasm gap as well. Mm. So I just wondered, you know, what, what sort of thoughts you have around when we are actually engaging with a partner sexually and we still find it difficult to a lot of people find it difficult to actually express this is what I like or I like it I like it this way how yeah. you know how do we get around that how do we overcome well, I feel like this idea of being unsatisfied in the bedroom stems from a few pieces like firstly uh the idea that um yeah sex is something that someone's giving someone's good at or bad at sex and so therefore by providing feedback you're like criticizing them or something and it can be personal mm-hmm. whereas I really believe that sex is a co-creation between two people and it's like improvisation, right? You're gonna, it's gonna be clunky, it's gonna be awkward, you're gonna laugh, perhaps it'll be amazing. And like really inviting that narrative that it's a joint venture for you to both go on or a group venture, however many yeah. involved. Yeah, and it's something you learn, right? I mean, Absolutely. no one's born an expert in it. It's like, <laughs> it's like riding a bike, you know, you, you eventually learn how to ride a bike, but you, you're not gonna ride the Tour de France you know, 100%. on your first go. Yeah, 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 100%. And every person is different, right? So someone might like it a certain way and someone else is going to not like it. So it's like you get to learn how to have sex each time with a new person. And can you see it as that rather than I, I often get, and it's interesting that with different genders, but yeah, with heterosexual men that may come to me and they want a formula on how to please women, how to, <laughs> how to in very quotation mechanical. marks, make women You'd be a very rich come. lady if you could put that <laughs> into <laughs> a book. <laughs> and I, I often share, like, if you can support a sense of safety and vulnerability and communication, like you said, communication is the foundation, then you can actually speak your desires and then you get to create something really fun between you. And then... Just the, the personal development pieces, you know, the people pleasing, the caretaking. What if they what if they don't like it? What if I ruin sex for them if I let them know that this isn't right? So all these pieces that may stop someone from sharing like that vulnerable piece of like, hey, I'd like it a bit different here. Yeah. I mean, I'm very sexually experienced, which is because the way my life has gone. And I still get into bed with some people and it just doesn't work Mm. because there's just not that compatibility. Mm -hmm. But I'm comfortable enough in myself because of my career and my context that like I can say, listen, in the most wonderful way possible, Mm -hmm. I think you're great, but I just, we don't connect. And like I said, sex should be clunky. Mm. You know, there's going to be funny smells. There's going to be sometimes (laughs) mess. There's going to be, and to, to be able to communicate and have that foundation of like, if something does happen, I'm not going to judge you. Like, if mm. the dick goes soft, I'm not going to judge you. Like, I think... Also, hard di- uh, soft dicks are also amazing. Yes, yeah. I like playing with it. Um, <laughs> sorry, I won't go down that road. No, no, but, that's, um, that's you But yeah, I think, like, just, like, communication. I think w- when we hear these things, like, you need to learn to communicate. I think people don't really absorb it because they just mm-hmm. think it's patronising yeah. word salad. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you really do actually mm-hmm. need to be able to communicate. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm telling you, as an old whore, trust me, <laughs> I have only had great sex with people that I have felt comfortable to go mm-hmm. no can we try this yeah what what do you want mm-hmm. like do you want less hands do you like you need to think about like when we say communicate in the bedroom what does it actually mean it's yeah. things like can I use my hand do you want me to take my hand off mm-hmm. you know are you comfortable do you want me to try this have, mm-hmm. has anyone ever touched you there before mm-hmm. you know things like that's just going through my roller decks mm-hmm. and that that to me is what communi- communication means. Like, what are your desires? Mm-hmm. Should we try something new? How kinky are you? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. d- don't be scared to touch me there if that's what you want. And yeah. also, don't feel pressured to. Yeah, and and I I really think that actually, a lot of people now who are very good at communicating, as someone who hasn't had sex in a very long time, uh, <laughs> as someone who tries to think that they are good at communicating. It comes from a place of having bad experiences Mm. quite often, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. And the the way that people do learn how to do things better is quite often through really naff sex. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be like that. It Mm -hmm. should be a way of, you know, as you you said, Madeline, that kind of Um, co-creation. The thing I have difficulty sometimes is absolutely the communication should be there. But it's the kind of cues and the different levels Mm -hmm. of actually knowing how to kind of attack someone's idea of what Mm -hmm. is wrong and what's right Mm. in the bedroom. Because I've been in a few situations with guys and it's like, I really don't like you doing that. And 
you know, trying to actually say that when you're in a position of being at bottom, it's a little difficult. Literally, <laughs> literally in a position. I know. Literally you in a like, position. No, don't do that. Like, don't do exactly. that. Exactly. And it's just like, yeah. that's not only is it, you know, not, not something I like, it's also hurting. Yeah. yeah. It's very difficult to kind of actually engage with someone in the way that from an outside perspective, it looks really easy to do. And I would say, yeah, I really want to recognize this spot and bring in so much compassion for anyone listening and bring in this awareness around like, yes, yeah, stress responses and how they may show up in the bedroom. So mm -hmm. by stress response, I mean like freeze or fawn or like even the other ones like fight or flight, like these things where our nervous system's out of capacity. So what may happen in the, and I know I've had it many times where like something doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. I want to voice it and it's not coming out. And I want to say no. And I'm actually in a freeze state. So I'm not actually able to vocally express what I want to be different. And so in these moments, it can be so much easier in hindsight, or like you say, like looking into the situation. And so that's why I invite like the permission for a pause, if you don't know, or like these uh, sudden things or like the way you can weave it in, because like, like Tova said, like, to say communicate better is one thing, but what does that actually mean? Mm. So how can we have more compassion for those moments when we may be perhaps in freeze or fall or not quite know how to communicate what we want to be different in those situations? So thank you for bringing that to light. No, I, I, I think it's important and I also think that quite simply communication is sexy. Mm. It definitely uh, is. If someone so can tell you what is. they want and mean it yeah. and look you in the eye. Absolutely. And even like admitting a vulnerability, like yeah. totally. I've yes. tried this and it didn't like it and like you're actually hurting me. Mm. For me, I mean, I guess maybe because of my career and stuff, I find it very endearing mm -hmm. when someone is like, I'd really like, I really appreciate that you might like it, but it kind of hurts. Mm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm so like, because <laughs> we can all get carried away and we, mm -hmm. we all have, and it, like just touching on just one example as a bottom, erectile dysfunction mm. a lot of people who have performance confidence issues or erectile dysfunction they will just try and pop it in quick because quickly before it goes soft mm. and because the, they just need to get in the hole because if the, if it pushes on the outside for too long and i'm really going into like the thing, you know, but it's resonates true. Completely it resonates. happens <laughs> so often and yeah. people just mm -hmm. want to get it in because they're scared if it doesn't get in now they're going to go soft or they're going to mm -hmm. go gummy or um you know they're going to lose their ability to come quick um but again, it should be spoken about. And but then there's so much context to that because it, could that person need treatment or a cock ring or whatever? And, and I think this is also a, a good segue into porn, actually. Um, so all of this, you know, difficulty that we have expressing ourselves around our sexual proclivities and and you know and sexual performance. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting statistics around porn so i mean there's something i've got here a, a study on a website called sexual alpha that say over 90 percent of adolescent boys watch porn in the western world and 55 percent of men say that porn has been their main source of sex education so with that sort of high percentage how to what extent do we think porn is having a negative impact on our ability to talk about things and to not be embarrassed about erectile dysfunction because and, and even you know doing things that might make someone else uncomfortable there's lots of really quite awful things that happen in porn of of um, you know the way that men treat other women in porn for instance it's it's the one that gets me where it's like you have one or two minutes of foreplay and then it's just like 15 minutes of non-stop hardcore <laughs> full-on everything's just going like the clappers it's like that's absolutely not how it works it's gonna yeah. set me on fire like, <laughs> so i so i think there's there's you know with those statistics there's a lot of men that are there's a a gap of sex education and they're using porn as a way to educate themselves. Mm -hmm. And so maybe they go into sexual encounters thinking, well, this is what I have to do. And if I don't do this, yeah. if I go soft, for instance, it's all over and it's a disaster. So I have to do whatever I can. And this is how I should behave. It seems to be getting in the way of us actually talking to each other and saying, it's okay. Or yeah. I'm not comfortable with this, mm -hmm. but we can try something else. Mm. And just what you said there, that reminds me of how we started talking around intimacy. So like, isn't that intimacy to be vulnerable mm -hmm. during mm. sex? Or like, hey, this isn't working for me. And so where may porn replace intimacy or like be a substitute for that, for people that may actually be craving intimacy? And I loved what you said earlier Tofa, around, um, it's not like there's benefits and, the, and there's cons to, to porn. 
And so if I'm hearing you correctly, it's like this identifying that, yeah, if we had a substantial sex education for young people to really understand communication, consent, their desire, their bodies, what the fuck happens to them in their teenage years when their hormones are pumped through their veins, then we have adults that are set up to engage in porn in a way that can support them if they desire to incorporate it into their sex lives. Yeah, I mm. think porn, I mean, the sex education argument, I mean, at the minute in schools, like people are getting furious because they assume that acknowledging that queer people can have sex as part of sex education is grooming children. And it's yeah. just like, no, we're just giving, like there's going to be someone in that classroom who's going to benefit mm-hmm. from this information because God knows I had, excuse my language, fuck all mm. education. We had one lesson which w- turned into a discussion about skid marks mm. and we put condoms on bananas. Oh, classic. Yours and, was bananas, okay. Yeah, and it was one day and it was it was totally disruptive. No one was paying attention. Yeah. And then my idea of, I knew obviously knew I was queer since I could walk. My idea of um, queer sex was you bent over and you used Vaseline mm. and it was going to hurt. Mm. So like uh, for me, it was like a whole, I think that's why I, I branched into the more sex education side of my work because I know there are people out there who have no idea what they're doing and to do certain types of sex wrong, it can be very painful. It can like give you trauma. You know, you go for the rest of your life. I, I'm not into that. And it could just be that, no, you just did it wrong, but you didn't prepare properly. So I think if like the fact that people are looking at like trained porn performers who mm-hmm. have had injections in their penises to keep them hard for four hours and, you know, they're covered, they've taken Prilogy, they've got delayed, delayed, like these people are, performing mm-hmm. in the same way we're not expecting godzilla to come out like when we go and see a movie like it's a performance mm-hmm. you know and that there's performance enhancing drugs and you know lighting and sometimes like things are shot and i don't know sorry i'm going rambling but no, carry on. it's no, important no. to remember yeah. that it's a performance yeah. and these people are working yeah. so with your sort of work on sex education do you think there's a recognition among the people that you speak to about the unrealistic side of porn absolutely all the time like i get dms all the time and it's always like how can i which pump do i use to make my dick this big and how do i stay harder for longer and how can i not come quick and there are quite there is different answers to those questions like are you going to have a massive penis because of this pump no um you know can i delay my ejaculation yes Am I going to perform like this person on camera? Probably not. No. Because that is a performer. Mm. Yeah. That's their bread and butter. That's how they pay their electric bill. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, and yeah, you might, you might have this amazing fuck, but we need to like take our like focus off how it looks and how the performance will be perceived from the outward and just think this is me and a person or people and how do we enjoy it? Mm. And what do I, what, what do I feel comfortable addressing something if I hit a, you know, an embarrassing point or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can I tell them I absolutely love that? Yeah. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I just think sex education is so important and it's, it causes so many, like for people who have bad sexual experiences or trauma or, mm-hmm. you know, like God knows like assaults is so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Yeah. They need to learn how to process it yeah. and I how think, that pays into future, mm-hmm. sex, future sexual experiences. And I think the best porn is educational porn. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, although it's not designed to teach things it displays human connection really well mm-hmm. um i'm a little skeptical personally of the whole the whole kind of ethical porn uh label of things because i i worry that it's a bit like the uh discussion we've had about sex positivity yeah. it's being what does that mean exactly it's being kind of um adopted for a purpose um of course it, it's, it's a hugely important thing and, it, and good porn should be a good representation of sex and there's nothing wrong i don't think with having absolutely mad like the clappers porn i think as long as there is as you say uh to for that kind of education in the background to unpick those things so that people know well that's just that's just ridiculous mm-hmm. that doesn't bend that way or doesn't yeah mm-hmm. doesn't happen that way and there are some really worthy eff- like ethical showing my fingers like <laughs> in the bunny hands and um, porn websites like like lustery yeah and there's frolic me and those are really focused on intimacy and pleasure and like expressing your love for sex with your partner or partners to the camera, which I think is wonderful. Yes, definitely. But then I think that the ethical porn thing can just be plopped on top of something. Mm. And I prefer, like, that's why, that's why I like Lustery and Frolic Me, because they're like, they tell you the, they break down what they're doing, mm. why they're different and how their performers benefit and, you know, making sure they're like, 
sorry to go on a really drastic swoop here, but like no one's been trafficked. Yes. No one's been manipulated or tricked or coerced into doing this this scene and signing a 2257 and they've lost that image. You mean? Yeah. And that's kind of a, a, a question built on that is um, what do we think the rise of OnlyFans has done for men's perception of sex? Because I'm, again, really sceptical that on one half it allows a, a sense of liberty for people to take their sexuality and their, their sense of sexual desire and pleasure into their own hands and not have it in control of a vastly enormous company. But also there's that level of people might perceive it as being quite accessible. Okay, sorry, I'm really talking a lot. Um, <laughs> I hear for it. <laughs> so I, I do only fans, so I do have personal experience with it. And I like it because, I mean, would I preferably be with OnlyFans considering their track record? No. But as a person who has bills to pay and I'm going into something with a smart mindset and I'm thinking about all of this, you go with the biggest player. Sure. And that unfortunately is them. And then there's, there's other great ones like Fansly and Just for Fans who I've just joined. Um, and it's about like looking at OnlyFans as an umbrella is one thing, but then you just need to look at the individual performers and what's going on. Is this person doing something that's great? Are, are all of the performers consenting? Has anyone been... Um, just a little side thing that I'm not sure anyone in the room would know about. There's a big explosion at the minute. Like OnlyFans in the last six months has really rolled out. They're tagging your co-performers. So you have to now, you have to, which you didn't have before, mm. to have paperwork uploaded to approve that this other person's consenting to be filmed. Okay, they're good. of age. But then that brings in the question, how many people are just so desperate to sleep with a porn performer or someone they admire from Twitter that they will go into a scene with them? And then do they really actually want to be doing this? And yeah. that's not, I'm, I know it's a bit of a separate topic, but it's yeah, just something it's I've really gone important. through recently because I filmed with two people recently who they've signed over to me. So legally I could post if I want to, but ethically I wouldn't do that. Yeah. And they've both turned around and said, I don't feel like actually, like in the moment I loved it, but you know, in hindsight, I really don't feel like I would like that out there. So OnlyFans can be a great thing if done correctly. Sure. And I'm I'm great. So I <laughs> no, but I'm ethical and I'm kind and I don't want someone fretting that their mm -hmm. life's gonna be exposed. And you know, I've made a conscious choice to put myself out there. So yeah. I think that the the ethics comes down to the individual. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, I Madeline, I suppose that, that you mentioned ethics and I suppose it is a, a case of the best sex is at its heart that element of communication. And you're gonna have a really much better time if your sex is built on those foundations mm. i mean in your work with um uh, with with people men especially have you found that there is a gap between men knowing what's right and what's wrong in in sexual sexual congress that's a terrible term <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> sounds like a really cool band it does yeah, yeah. <laughs> latest album out now um yeah i wonder if it's like this yeah idea of the are men really taught to go on a journey or like go inward to discover what they really want in the bedroom? And that's where like perhaps seeing the other side of OnlyFans of like how these apps really support people to find connection if they're by themselves or have that intimacy. And on the other hand, OnlyFans and perhaps dating apps, what I can see through yeah client work is where do we have like disposable attachment to people so where are we now seeing people or intimacy on on this level of like you can just swipe a screen or you can just comment or these things where like intimacy is now changing and so where for yeah men looking to discover their their sexuality like really perhaps coming back to themselves and like does this feel right for me like that like is this the right thing or like like why does this feel good like is it what they're doing is it what I feel in my body do I want to do this and yeah, inviting that that sovereign with themselves. And I think you touched upon this idea of the more, yeah, dangerous aspects of porn. I don't know if you saw it, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was an, I got an article in The Guardian around the uptick on uh, like violence in the bedroom after people had seen it in, in porn. And like how um, someone was sharing their experience that, you know, their, their partner had seen um, people being choked in porn yeah. and thought that was just how it's done yeah i've i've mm. there's there's been 
friends or friends of friends that have talked about that happening. Mm. So I think it's it's more common perhaps than we might think. It's, it's happened to me. Like mm. I've just slept with like younger men, like people in their early twenties. And like grabbing my neck, and I'm like, no, mm-hmm. you're like crushing my windpipe. Like, yeah, yeah. there's a, there's a educated ways to do it mm-hmm, to grip mm-hmm. in the perfect way. But obviously, you need to know does do you that does that person want their neck grabbed? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, before you start. You gonna, yeah, yeah. Can, yeah. Can you maybe ask me before you choke me out because yeah. yeah. I could faint. Yeah, yeah. The, the one part at, of of that whole kind of discussion, the one that gets me most is the simple smack on the ass. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are obviously fans of it a lot of people aren't and it's quite normalized mm. as as far as i'm aware people just it, it's it just happens naturally and i just don't know if that's porn or if that's just part of the experience anymore i don't, I, I suppose as you say madeline intimacy has evolved but it's those individual little cues which you can see from things like porn and and, and the media and so on which have become normalized and mm. i don't know if it's healthy mm. and i wonder if there's the opportunity for like, as with the um, online world explosion and intimacy available on there, like the in-person stuff, you know, seeing these events that are available, like, yeah, I just, yeah, ran a sexuality festival and seeing that like go to the mainstream and people like showing up and wow, there's such a need and desire for people to work out these cues in person. And to be like, is that okay? Oh my gosh, we're being clunky. And I just like to people to go to consent workshops or go to boundaries workshops or like sober or not sober dating experiences, whatever feels right for them. But like there's educational spaces more available now, yeah. especially in the UK, we're lucky that they, they can be legal having traveled around that some places you don't have that available to really learn about sex mm. in person so if you know if you're thinking like oh what is this like well, how do i feel like just inviting you if you have the courage or desire yeah to to find yourself in these spaces um because i also feel like that's the wave that's coming through like i see the young youth on tiktok with these conversations that are so cool and like how do we get to transform this so that like the waves of generation coming through are like educated know their desires like it's a whole different framework of of relationships coming forward i think yeah definitely and even recently at like secret garden party Mm. like we are x that new dating app they had this whole and i think it's cool that like and i i kind of understand the context of putting it into a festival because people's guards are down a little Mm -hmm, bit more maybe they're under the influence of something if they choose to be and then you're open more to i'm going to be brave enough to go in there Mm-hmm. So, so what happened at, at Secret Garden Party so, exactly? So there's a dating app called We Are X. They've right. just launched, and it's the people behind Killing Kittens. Mm. Oh, and they right, had yeah. this big setup at Secret Garden Party, and there was a big uptake because I think people feel safe because you're yeah. like a when you're at a festival, you feel like you're in a little world. You know what I mean, you can yeah. just everything that happens here stays here. So it's a really good idea to kind of have those places pop up there because people will go in there with more of an open mind because they feel like they're in a safe space because a festival. I mean, for me personally, maybe because of the way I party, but it feels like a big safe space. Yeah. You know, we're all in this together. Mm. And it would just be wonderful if we could take that mindset and that safety and apply it to, you know, just a workshop you maybe get on the tubes to go to or even downloading an app. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think like the way that social media is now, I think we feel like we're so, so connected to one another. But really, I think it's it's actually causing more of a distance. Yes. So yes. I, I like to see these people on social who do push these really sex positive messages. But then you get the kickback of being deleted all the time like me. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's just finding, I don't know, I love, I love these educational workshops. I think they're so charming. And I understand why people might roll their eyes at them. But what I would say to anyone listening to this, because I've been there, I roll my eyes. But I think it's just because it's my industry. I don't want to work after I'm finished work. Um, go because you'll be so surprised yeah. it's so inspiring to be in a room yeah. and see someone be vulnerable mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it will wake up something inside of you because you know we're on the tube we don't look each other in the eye mm-hmm. you know we're, we're all performing 24 hours a day all the time mm-hmm. even when we're going to the shops yeah to sit down next to someone and someone goes i can't come yeah and it's mm-hmm. like that just breaks the ice for mm-hmm. the room because mm-hmm. like the vulnerability is out there that's yeah. really liberating i think yeah and i think it was going it's going back to what i was saying earlier in the sense that we do live in a kind of hyper-sexualized culture, but there's almost an expectation on all of us that we should know how to do it and we mm-hmm. should be experts. And so we're, we're sort of sex-obsessed, but we're not mm-hmm. good at actually talking about it in a way that is honest and that mm-hmm. will actually yield some positive progress and results mm-hmm. because we need to sort of sit down and say, well, I don't know about this, so how can I learn and how can I do this better?
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to subscribe and you can catch us on wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch us also on Twitter and Instagram at The Love Cupboard. Thanks very much.